Welcome to High ISO, the photography and business podcast. Where we talk about life as a professional photographer. I'm Robert Hall, an editorial photographer from Michigan. And I'm Justin Haugen, a wedding and portrait photographer from Arizona. Justin? Not a whole lot. I'm getting ready to go do some photos uh, today with a model and a friend of mine, Chris Berry. And uh, we're going to go do play around with some Magmod gear and some Fuji stuff. So whenever I'm shooting for personal work, I like to play with Fuji. Chris Berry is my boy. I love that guy. Yeah, Chris is a man. That guy, he's uh, he's like my drone guru, Fuji guru, all wrapped in one. Like He's really excited about that stuff. And I love talking shop with him yeah we uh we got got a lot closer I, I knew him from obviously going to trade shows and him being close to you but when we uh, went to photo kina together it's really cool just to i mean i've already gone through like three countries with that dude um you know and i've never hung out with him in my hometown so that's pretty pretty interesting little tidbit about chris barry and i yeah chris is like my my hetero uh life mate like we're we're super tied at the hip we're big time buddies here in tucson and uh, I'm a little jealous that you got to travel internationally with him, but I did go to <laughs> Korea, Korea with him a couple of years ago. So, and speaking of that, I'm actually just booked a trip to Korea in September for a couple of weeks to visit family. Awesome, man. Yeah, I'm going to eat. How long are you going for this time? Uh, I'm going to go for just two weeks. I'm going to be there from like the 9th of September to the 25th. And I'm going to see about bringing some gear with me, just a light amount of gear. Like I don't like to travel heavy when it comes to gear. So some Fuji kit and maybe a speed light or two and and uh, some Magmod stuff. And I have actually a model that I photographed last time I was out in Korea. I found her on Instagram. So I'll see if I can get that going again because I love shooting at nighttime around Seoul. It's just like a adult uh, wonderland there with all the light. It's like Vegas without the gambling. Yeah, that's awesome. What's going on with you, man? Well, today I have a single shoot at the university, a really quick one. I actually, I feel so stupid. Uh, the reason that I told you I have to be done by a certain time is because I have to run down my studio just to grab one little thing. I have to grab the uh, the mag beam and one of those specific cutouts because at the university we're doing, we're kind of creating a poster for one of the theater productions that they have going on and I need something to create bars, like a gobo of bars to emulate a prison. And so, yeah, I need to get back down there just to get those uh, the bar shapes so I can kind of create that look in there. So... I'm excited. I found that now that I have a studio, I have to make lots more trips to the studio to grab gear that would otherwise be in my garage. So it's become kind of a pain in the ass in that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every Having everything in your home is like really nice. Minus, I mean, when I look at how my studio is packed now, I'm like, how is all of this in my home? Because the, the studio is like 80%, like my modifiers, my lighting and everything like that. And it's some of the other people that rent too, but the vast majority of it was stuffed in here and, you know, stuffed in my closet. I have this massive like three drawer Ikea cabinet in the garage, you know, that's like eight feet tall. Um, yeah. I used to have that stuffed with stands and modifiers and everything. And every time I'd go in the garage, like you open that door and stuff's practically like falling out. Like that was my life. But now it's constantly driving to the studio to pick up that one little thing you need. Yeah. On the plus side, I gained back some real estate in my garage. And so I don't have like a bunch of crap in there anymore. So I, I took away a lot of gear that was probably like low use and now it has a home. So that's the, it's good. But then there's yeah those times where you're like, oh, shit, I left a piece of gear at the studio. I backtrack and add like an extra 40 minutes to my work commute that day. 
sucks. Yep, that's exactly what I have to do today. About 40 minutes back and forth to get to the job site. Um, I'm sorry, to get to the studio and then get back to the job site. And then tomorrow, tomorrow I'm lighting a music video. And so I have to go to the studio and load up like all my LED gear and, and some C-stands and grip and some crafty stuff that we're doing. So I got to go pick up like eight different lights for that setup that we're doing tomorrow night, which I'm excited about that. I've, I've never done that before, but obviously, you know, it's like the lighting skills translate pretty well, especially once you get familiar with lighting LED for videos, which I do in my own videos, but it's going to be a new experience. So I'm excited about that. That sounds pretty cool. I've really enjoyed seeing the work that you've been doing at the university and uh, the stuff you've been doing lately. It's you've got some pretty cool uh, setups going on and some cool BTS shots you've been sharing with the photo gear chat group. Yeah, I've been I've been trying to track as much as possible. I'm just so torn because that stuff is on such a limited schedule. I mean, when you have an hour to shoot, like I very low priority is behind the scenes. But then I do something that I'm like, oh, this demonstrates, you know, something that I often have to teach and discuss perfectly. I got to get a BTS of this, you know, so uh, I'm getting better at working it in. I'm thinking about taking the Osmo pocket and just being a nerd and just like wrapping it to my chest somehow <laughs> to get that. There like, you go. You, you first person perspective of my shoots and it's perfect because like the battery lasts like an hour which is about what the shoots typically go for there sometimes they're a bit longer but i think uh i think i might start doing that then it just then it just turns into calling video though like going through all the stuff that isn't important just to get to the meat of it yeah i'm only i'm only good at bts like if i go with the intention of shooting it so I'm, i hate when I forget to like do a pullback of a quick, cool setup that I have, have going on. So yeah, I, I try, I want to be better about that because I feel like it's, I think photographers get the most value online from BTS. Like that's the biggest learning lesson for them is to see it where it's set up. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I wish, man, I would pay for like a tiny camera that would match my other camera's settings and could fire trigger my flashes. Like just to wear that around my neck, like if it was the size of a GoPro or even an RX 100, like if that had a shoe on it and it would just mirror all my settings constantly, that would be wonderful. Yeah. The Mark II had a, had a hot shoe on it. I actually had that camera and I, I sold it to a friend cause I wasn't using it once I went Fuji, but that camera had a hot shoe on it. I wish I wouldn't have got rid of that feature. Yeah, I mean, they they know that if they put a freaking hot shoe or a mic input on that camera that they've got like the perfect vloggers camera. And I really think they're trying to hold on to those people, those suckers that are walking around holding like an A7 Mark III with a shoe, shoe mount microphone and all those goodies on it you know they're still trying to keep and protect their their upper echelon bodies because otherwise like that would be like the perfect piece of kit are you uh going after influencers this morning no <laughs> no, I'm just I mean, there's they're, they're suckers. Come on. Anybody. <laughs> I, it's like when I'm when I'm traveling and you see people with like the full on clunky DSLR, like once you once you get over that idea yourself, like everybody else is just a sucker to you. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny when I'm traveling and, and I've got like a Fuji kit with like a 23, like the tiny 23 and a little 50. And then I'll, I'll see like the average vacation dad who's got a 5D Mark IV and a 7200 strapped around his neck. I'm yep. like, man, like, are you really enjoying your vacation? Yep. I, I think the biggest example of that is when I went to Zion and you see these people with that and they're like climbing, you know, 2000 feet of elevation for a, a four to six hour hike or whatever. I'm just like, forget you, man. Like <laughs> RX 100, all I need fits in one pocket. Yep. Um, so I got a funny, like a side note here before we get started. Are you obviously at your computer? Can you, uh, can you pull up a web, a Google tab real quick and make a search? The, I want you to type in the words Florida man and your birth date, and then tell me what search result you get first. 
Oh, I'm going to get Florida, man. I'm going to get something terrible. It's like the, the new meme I saw this morning, so I got to share my result. What is yours? Here we say? go. File shows police set for Florida man in pipe bomb mail case. <laughs> I got Florida man arrested for mid-flight battery against flight attendant, calling her racial slur and too big for this job. <laughs> That's such a specific headline. <laughs> it's very. And the, there was another one, too. It was. Uh, hold on. Oh, man. I, I, I'm going to be on. I'm going to be talking about this all day because I think it's so funny. Video shows Florida man arrested along with pet monkey. <laughs> <laughs> man. OK, so here's something we should all everybody should post not only this, but the alternative if you post woman, because it just shows the divide in what the men in Florida are doing, because all I get is like political results for Florida woman, <laughs> October 28th. I got they didn't do anything. I got alligator reportedly drags woman into Florida pond search underway. That's tragic. Oh, on my birthday too. Oh, my gosh. Uh, um, Yours yeah. is good. <laughs> I'm going to be talking what is about with this all day. What is with Florida? I mean, like, this is just such a good meme, but this this type of meme has existed for so long. I mean, on Reddit, you see all the time, like, never change Florida. And it's, uh, I think the last example I saw was this woman who has an alligator trained to drive four-wheelers. And I think the name of the alligator <laughs> is Rambo. She's a pet <laughs> alligator trained to drive a four-wheeler. And I think he wears a denim jacket. Denim or leather, I can't remember. <laughs> what the heck? That doesn't even Did sound real. Just search oh, Florida, man. Florida Gator ATV and you'll see the photo I'm talking about. Oh, man. OK, I might look that up before I forget. But Florida Gator ATV. Um, you know, it's funny. And uh, Adam Carolla has had a bit about Florida um, for a while now, like on his uh, old podcast or radio show. Um, he, he it was called Florida or Germany. And on the bit, they would read headlines to their guest and the guest would have to determine if it was a Florida headline or a Germany headline. <laughs> Oh my gosh. One of my favorite subreddits is, uh, what is it? It's Russia or GTA 5. So it shows a <laughs> clip and you have to determine if it's from Grand Theft Auto or from Russia because it's normally traffic violations. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got us totally derailed this morning, but I, I had to share that because it was, it was cracking me up when I was getting ready this morning. <laughs> That's okay. I'm so happy to look at the picture of Rambo, the gator riding an ATV again. <laughs> I'm going to watch that video after the podcast recording. It's hilarious. Oh, man. So All right. Good. Okay. Yeah. So wh what do we what do we got for the people today? I want to talk about ATV riding gators for the rest <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Although uh, although I'm not opposed, I do want this to be something useful for people down the road. All right. Let's talk. Uh, today's show topic is your first flash. And uh, we want to cover a little bit of a history of flash uh, photography, like our personal history, gear, gear that we've owned, uh, gear that you should own, the current offerings, the current landscape of this stuff. So um, yeah, let's get started, man. Like how did you get started in off-camera flash? My first speed light was purchased. I'd already known the, the importance of lighting because I was assisting another wedding photographer or a wedding photographer at the time since I wasn't in the industry. But I was assisting a photographer and he was using like big old elochrome and power packs and all that sort of stuff. And I just knew I needed some type of speed light because that's what he was using once he got to a reception. And so I, I went online and I think I used at the time Craigslist and I found a Nikon SB800 for extremely cheap. And uh, it turns out it was, uh, it was a woman who was purging her probably ex-husband's collection of camera equipment. <laughs> was she from Florida? <laughs> no, she wasn't from Florida. She was local. 
but yeah, so I got a SB 800 at the time for like 200 bucks, which was a really good deal. And this is when I don't think the SB 900 was out yet. I'd have to look to double check that I'm pretty sure the SB 800 was the flagship speedlight model from Nikon at the time. So that was my, that was my first one. And quickly after that, I think I invested in my first studio lights, which were, oh gosh, Rope Pro. Studio Pro, I don't know. They were like some 300 watt second lights, and uh, those are those would be like my AC lights that I would plug into the wall at the reception. Um, and yeah, and then my lineage of of flash gets really crazy. I mean, I started using Pulsey Buff products. I think the first ones I got were used Alien Bees, not Alien Bees, sorry, White Lightnings. Did the White Lightnings, and then I loved those, and I got into the. Uh, the Einstein, and around the time of the Einstein is when I also added the uh, the Vegabond Power Pack, and that Power Pack that that was like the eye opening point of uh, of taking it outside and and using it, and you know being fully mobile and not being connected to to a wall with your flash. That was really nice because a speed light is limited, and and having these full on model lights that are capable. Um, that was, man, I, I love that period. And I still had the white lightnings at the time. And around that time is when I switched to Young Nuo speed lights. I'd bought one Young Nuo YN565, which I was like, oh, I need a backup speed light. And I found it was just as good, if not a little bit more powerful than my SB800. And so I started adding more of those. And by then they had their 622 system out. I know I'm throwing all these numbers and models at people and people are like, oh my God, I just want to know what I should buy first. But we're just going through the history here. The yeah. uh, the YN622 system was like a TTL and, um, you know, remote control. You could think you could adjust your, yeah, you could adjust your power of your remote devices and everything. So that started giving me like the speed that I was after and the Cyber Commander, which controls the policy buff lights is capable of that too. Uh, this all culminated in like me being able to mix those two lights. One of the things that I loved about the YN622 is it didn't have high speed sync, which is so popular today. But it did have uh, super sync, which is hyper sync. It's another form of getting past your uh, sync speed limit on your camera with flash. And man, I was using that with my white lightnings like way before like high speed sync became like super popular. And it's it's been interesting to see now like everybody go crazy about high speed sync. And I can look back to like photos in like I think 2013, 2014 where I was kind of using a similar concept to achieve the lighting com combined with uh, a very shallow depth of field. Um, and go ahead. I was saying for our listeners out there, if you haven't noticed, Rob is really excited about this topic. <laughs> I, I love talking flash, man. I think it, I think there's still so many photographers out there, even like working photographers that they just don't know what flash can do for them. And they're like a little bit afraid of it. So I love demystifying flash as much as much as possible because it really opens up what you're able to do with photography. Yeah. I think we're cut from similar cloth here. I think uh, of the two of us, you are the more technical person, but I, I also, I, I get called technical a lot by other people as well, but I, I like to think of my, my flash knowledge has been more of a trial and error based uh, come up. Like I, I haven't really like, I, I I'm not good at like, like I understand the inverse square law. I understand um, like power and output and exposure triangle. Uh, but I, I learned this. I heard this phrase from Sal Sincata. He, he referred to something as monk as a gorilla math. 
And I love that term. Like that's, that's kind of my, how I function. Like when I teach people, I even, I even use like a dumb voice. I'm like, okay, like, Oh, the photo's too dark. So move the flash in closer or turn the power up. Like that's like, that's my math when I do yeah. um, flash photography. So um, I've always appreciate your, your knowledge of the numbers and uh, how, how like every aspect of power and distance and modifiers on your flash, how it affects flash output and, uh, it's it's something that I'm trying to be better about because as we try to communicate this stuff to other photographers, uh, especially I know some older photographers who are real sticklers for the proper terminology. And I'm often seeing a lot of the I'm seeing a lot of like flash terms misappropriated where people are using the wrong words to describe a concept. And then suddenly that that word becomes the new language for beginners who have heard someone else use it incorrectly. Have you noticed that in some of the user groups where people start misappropriating terms in lighting? Oh, for sure. You can, I mean, the, probably the biggest example that you see is like overpower the sun, which is Mm -hmm. like so misleading, you know, because it it gives you the idea that you can create like, you know, just if there's a sun behind somebody, you can like shut it down to the point that it's completely black. And that's, I would say damn near impossible. You know, you're always going to see the sun in your photo. I think even with like a 10 stop ND, and your settings maxed out, like you're gonna, you're gonna see the sun in your photo. So this idea that lighting is going to overpower the sun. And I always, whenever I'm responding to something like that, I'm like, yes, the light can balance with bright conditions. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Oh, in terms of overpowering the sun, the other, the other massive one, I think I see a lot is uh, diffusion and softness. Oh, it's driving me nuts. I, I've been arguing it a lot lately in some of the user groups. Yeah, yeah. You see a lot of people who think that diffusion equals softness, and uh, it's just it's just not the case. And we won't we won't kill you with those details today. But understand when people are talking about flash that there there are some misconstrued terms, and it can really lead to confusion, especially when you're just starting out. Um, and and marketing will take full advantage of this too. So you have to be aware of that as well. Uh, what do you see as like really big offenders most often? Yeah, you're right. You're right. When it comes to marketing, um, I think everyone wants to use the word soft uh, modifier in their marketing for their their flash modifier products. And so the, it's a misnomer uh, because really, if we're talking small modifiers, there is no amount of of soft modifier that can no amount of diffusion will make that modifier soft if it's smaller than relative to the size of your subject. So if we're talking small speed light modifier, uh, the only thing that's going to be soft on is like if you're photographing macro photography of a Lego head, but yep. if we're talking, yeah, if we're talking like big modifiers, yeah, then we can use the word soft appropriately. Uh, but people don't understand the idea of diffusion versus softness. Like, and I think the easiest thing I can, I can refer them to is think about photographing a bound with a bounce umbrella. Like if you had like a seven foot umbrella and it was silver on the inside, uh, there's no diffusion going on, but the shadow transitions will be soft because it's a large modifier relative to your, to your subject. And so you can have high specularity as a result of losing diffusion because we're using a silver silver bounce reflector. So I think that's like the easiest example I can refer people to to talk about soft light with no diffusion so they understand diffusion better. Now that we've taken you down the path of like 501 level flash photography, when you're trying to pick your first speed light, um, I think we might we might be going overboard here in the early part. But I think the big lesson here is to just like, it's going to be a lot of information when you're starting out in flash photography and you're going to feel really overwhelmed, but foundationally light has never changed. So there is perfect information out there and, and you really got to experiment 
and, and learn what you need to determine like what, what type of information is kind of noise to what you do. And I like kind of how you said guerrilla math, because while I understand everything on a mathematical level, I don't think it's necessary for everyone to. I think as long as you understand like the core principles of lighting, then you'll be okay. And I just want to steer people to a, I'm, I'm trying to like, my foundation for all this, my platform is that uh, to teach people a more layman's approach to lighting and that they understand like what they can see and observe quickly. So uh, instead of math, I can throw at them, I can throw at them concepts. Like if the, is the photo too dark, then what do we do to change a photo that's too dark from your flash? Like raise the power, move the flash in closer, and then conversely, take the flash further away and lower the power if the flash is too dark. And then understanding the relationship of what's happening with the light spread uh, as we as it's relative to distance of your subject, like how the light spreads or doesn't, you know, we need to talk about those concepts because you can observe them from one photo to the next. And I didn't have to use math to explain it. So that's where I'm trying to drive my education and photography and how I teach people how to use flash because it's results yeah. that they can see right away. Yeah. I'm the favorite way that I tend to illustrate. I almost illustrate all my concepts in person with led just mm -hmm. so that you can see it live. And and then I'm like, we're, we're now we're just going to replace it with flash and, and do the same thing. Yeah. And I was going to say that that's probably a good place to start is with a nice, um, as high powered as you can afford LED light, because I can demonstrate the concepts of power and distance uh, live, and more than one person can observe those uh, results at the same time. So if you have a group of people who want to share a light, they can, if you're working with a model, you can share that LED panel, and we can observe if we what happens when we raise power or change the flash distance. So I think it's a good place to start, uh, even though, you know, this is our, your first flash episode. I think that's not a bad, bad area to begin. Like, what, what's your take? on Yeah, that? yeah, definitely not. I mean, I'm kind of torn. Like there's like the cowboy studio, like big old compact fluorescent. And, and it's just a socket that goes to your wall. And then it comes with like a mount to mount an umbrella on it. Mm -hmm. And you, you will outgrow that like almost immediately. But yeah. It's a really great tool for for being able to see, you know, shadows and transitions, distance, perspective, all that stuff, like really efficiently live rather than like the whole process of like, take a photo. Why does this look bad? And like, what do I move? What do I change? No, you can just you can just see it live. So I do think that's a great place to start. So if you're interested in getting something like that, um, you, you can also like get crafty. I mean, an LED panel, uh, a flashlight really doesn't give you much versatility to like change anything. But, um, you know, just bringing a flashlight in and out can kind of in and out on some type of subject can give you a better understanding of how like transitions and and uh, shadow movement and where those positions are going to be you can determine a lot of that with just a flashlight yeah and i think i think um where people will quickly realize where this is limited is it's probably limited to nighttime photography indoor photography uh and so when you try to take it outside at, at any time of day you'll find the limitations of the light where it doesn't have enough power to observe the effects of the light on your subject uh depending on how close it is to your subject so uh, quickly, you're going to find yourself wanting to move into your first speed light. And I think everyone kind of looks at us either has a speed light um, right away because they want to use on camera flash. But if, if you have an on camera flash, then probably the next move is how do we get it off camera? Because then that's where you start to see uh, the effects of light and what it, what it does relative to your subject, where it's placed, where you're placed relative to your light position. So uh, that's our next move here. So Real quick, that's a good discussion point is uh, for people to understand the limitations of an on-camera flash or a pop-up flash even. They might think like, I, I have flash, I can light things in the dark. 
But uh, real quick, why don't you explain the limitations of an on-camera flash? I'm not big on on-axis light. And when I say that, I mean light that is on the same plane as your as your lens. And the reason why is, especially when you're working with smaller lights, uh, there's a harshness to it. Everybody knows that deer in the headlight look when you use a direct flash on your subject, either from your on-camera pop-up or a flash on camera. You're prone to get the red eye effect where you see the red eyes. I haven't seen a red eye in so long in my photography. Because, <laughs> yeah, because my light's always off axis and I'm, and I'm shooting. I don't do that. Um, and then uh, the other negative about it is, yeah, you're you're limited in that you get this flash. You get this flashy frontal dead deer in the headlights kind of flash look. It's that Uncle Terry photography that I've come to loathe. And and I just don't find direct on camera small speed light flash to be a very flattering look. Now, if we're talking beauty light where we've got a large modifier, like a huge beauty dish or a large umbrella, like that's different. Like on axis, big light is where it's at. Like that's, especially if you're doing like up close beauty work, but even event photography, it looks, it's mark, it's the mark of an amateur in terms of like the aesthetic of the look. I I mean, in a pinch, if it's all you got and you're outside, I think we've all had to do that where we were outside an event. uh, It's daylight still maybe. And we needed some fill and you throw an on-camera flash on and shoot direct direct flash because it it lifts the shadows. So, you know, use it if you have to. But generally, if you have the option, either bounce that light. Like if you're in an indoor area and, you, and there's a nearby ceiling or wall, uh, light with direction has more dimension. And it sh- the shadows are where you start to get more like shape to people's faces. And I, and I prefer that in my photography. I think most people do. What, how do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole art of off-camera flash is the fact that you can create shape. So when you have a flash and it's from the same point of view as your camera, think about the deer in the headlights for a moment in that your perspective is right between your own headlights. And so you're seeing from the same perspective as the light source, the headlights. And so when you see the deer, you know, that's when you you're completely illuminating the deer and you aren't seeing any of the shadows or depth created by that light hitting the deer. Now, if you were on the side, if you were on the road as that deer was in the headlights, um, you're going to see a lot more depth to that deer because you're going to see that light hit them and then kind of transition around them a little bit and then fall into shadows, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Depending on your perspective, that's going to completely change, right? And that's where you understand that relationship of a light being off of the camera and using it as a tool to kind of shape your subject. And that shape, that 3D effect, that depth that you create with lighting is the only way to communicate the depth on a 2D uh, medium, such as photography. Yeah, I agree. And um, I think once we start getting that light off camera, that's where like the more advanced learning starts to begin. And I think uh, it's the mark like that's in terms of in the lighting world, that's that's where the professional work is happening, because I don't know anybody that shoots an on camera flash for any kind of commercial work or even high end wedding work. So I, I don't want to like disparage people that they're not that they can't be a pro if they aren't doing this. But I think I think it is like the next level of of lighting. And I and I did when I first started, I I didn't even know any differently. Like I didn't realize like you could be a photographer that only shoots natural light it's because my, my mentor, his name was Mike Mayes, And he was, he was so kind to like step in and sh- take, take um, time to shoot with me with his alien bees. Like he had a couple AB, AB 400s and he showed me some lighting set up with a white backdrop in a friend's apartment. So he spent a whole evening with me, letting me shoot, shoot with his, his gear and my camera and letting me see the effects of the light. And to me, 
at that time I was like, oh, like this is what it means to be a photographer is you have to learn this stuff. So it, so now when I, when I have always cringed at the term natural light photographer, cause I never made that distinction. I was just like, oh, you're a photographer. Then you, obviously you're going to learn this. So I don't, I don't want to give everyone a hard time for being a natural light photographer. I just don't think it's a, it's a bad, it's not a badge of, um, of like honor. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like tell people that or use it as part of my marketing. So I find it amusing when people do It's just, you're a photographer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To me, when I see natural light photographer, and I think this will be most anyone who understands flash photography, when they see that they think I don't understand flash <laughs> or I'm scared yeah. of flash. Like that's my idea. And, and, you know, it, we do see it as a badge of honor as, as a way of like differentiating oneself. And I just don't think, uh, I just don't think that actually works on photographers. It might work in terms of marketing on clients. They're like, Oh yeah, everything looks so natural in their portfolio. <laughs> I don't know, but there's no reason you can't create a natural look with flash if you have that understanding. Yeah, and I feel that flash photography has made me a more hyper aware observer of light in general. So my natural light photography has improved immensely because of my understanding of light from shooting flash. So if you really want to have that badge of honor of being a natural light photographer and maybe that is the platform that you choose to market under, but hopefully it's because you came to an understanding of light in general and it, and it brought you there, not because uh, you worked with um, a fear of learning uh, off camera flash or rejecting it. Because I know some people just like, I don't like that flashy look. I'm like, OK, you cannot like it, but you should understand it. It's going to help your right. natural light work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. So um, real quick, let's let's go back. What was your uh, quick history of, of using flash equipment? OK, I'll make this fast. Uh, I. I started with the, my first flash was Canon 580EX. I spent almost $400 for that. And I could only use it on camera for the longest time because at the time, uh, pocket wizards were the only way to trigger a flash remotely. And then Canon was so terrible at even putting any kind of uh, sync into the flash. So there was no sync port. So you had to put a hot shoe mount, um, like, like it was a little adapter. So the flash went on the hot shoe little it's like a little cube that went into the top of the flash which then had a three and a half millimeter plug on the side of it so you could plug a pocket wizard to it and so you could shoot on camera flash and then have another flash hooked up to a pocket wizard or i could take that flash off camera now with that hot shoe adapter and put it onto a, a cold shoe mount um off camera so i had to use like an adapter just to use the flash off camera the pain in the ass right off the bat like the um the flash wasn't configured to even shoot off camera flash easily. Canon was trying to force you into using their infrared system of flash of flash photography off camera flash. So the idea was that you would have a master flash and that you would have a second flash that had to be within line of sight in order to trigger that flash. And in broad daylight, IR doesn't work as well. So it wasn't a great system. And I think this was probably like 2004. So you didn't like I didn't know a lot of off camera flash photographers back then because the gear was either too expensive or the connection methods were very poor or the systems were very poor. So, yeah. So, like, imagine 400 bucks today, like 400 bucks. The average photographer can own like three or four speed lights, basic ones, and they can all communicate wireless to each other. And you've already got a basic lighting kit. So 400 bucks when I was poor and just starting out in photography, it was a real barrier to access. Like I couldn't get the kind of gear that's available now. I feel like with flash gear now is like the first moment that I feel as an adult where I'm, I kind of have that back in my day <laughs> vibe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where, where I'm thinking like, this is the first thing where I'm like, you have no idea how good you have it because back in my day, 
you know, waves cane in the air. Yeah. Back in my day, I had to use pocket wizards and 3.5 millimeter cables. And if something didn't fire, I had to check four sets of batteries to figure out what wasn't working or what switch I hit wrong. Yeah. It used to be awful. Yeah. Back in my day, I had to take the flash down from the light stand to change the power. Like, that's how it feels. Like, <laughs> uh, people really don't know how good it is now. Like, they have no basis for comparison, especially if you're a photographer in the last even in the last 10, like eight years, probably, I'd say, but like in the last five years, for sure, like the gear changed quickly in a, in a real hurry. And the funny thing was watching the shift in like third party junk becoming like the status quo now in our industry, like uh, Young Yo, like when they first started, like they made a they made the, they made a flash that was easier to shoot off camera than the 580 EX that I own. So I owned a couple of those 560 Young Yo's that were like the Mark ones and they had a PC sync cord on the side of them. So I was able to to use my pocket wizards at the time. And then um, I can only afford two of those things. So actually the first wireless triggers I owned were the very first Cactus V1 triggers. And that was an ugly piece of equipment and it misfired like more than it fired. But I was so happy to get the flash <laughs> off camera. And I was like, that was like the beginning of my off camera adventure was really janky off camera flash, Chinese, Chinese manufactured crap. Like, it was garbage back then. After that pocket wizards. And then I traded those two pocket wizards to a buddy who had a kit of for the radio popper receivers and the transmitter. And I was able to trade my two pocket wizards for that. And that's when I really started to get cracking with uh, off-camera flash work. Because I, I had the 580 EX, which I used on camera mostly. I had the 560 Young Yo's. I think I picked up a second one eventually. And I had like a, a, a Nikon SB26. So I was like Frankensteining <laughs> like three different light systems into one offering and into like one uh, one um, connection and then i was using i had an ab800 and so i was able to connect one of those so like i i could like set up like three to five lights um off of my entire kit using those radio poppers and that's where i started to really get moving with this stuff but the gear sucked like when i if i shot a wedding like i was bringing all this gear to wedding day so i would wait like i would get there like 30 minutes early just to configure all the lights and put all the remotes together and get the lights set up on the light stand Compared to now, you throw the light up on the stand and it's ready to go. So back in my day. Yep. Well, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the current offerings. And I think this is kind of where we come together because I know we're both using the same flash system, at least, mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit different with lights. But let's talk a little bit about um, what's available to people right now and, and what mistakes that they should avoid making when, when purchasing their first flash. Yeah. And I, and I have to, I have to thank you for being influential on me in terms of the like lighting gear that I got into, because a few years ago I, I went all in on Nikon. I made a switch from Canon to Nikon and then my entire flash system, I, I left it all behind. I picked up, a, I, I couldn't use the Canon anymore anyway on camera. So I, I went SB nine ten which quickly started to feel like a mistake because at the same time, I also went with a full Young Yo kit. So I went, I went with the y, YN, like the basic ones, the, uh, the Mark IV, the 560 Mark IV, Mark threes or Mark IV, Mark IVs. And each of those flashes can communicate to each other wirelessly. And so one can be the master and the rest can be slave flashes and they can all be controlled in power and you can turn the groups on and off. And he also had uh, triggers, uh, remotes for each each camera, I'd, I had a remote for each, and it was a really easy to use, simple system. And I have to say it was probably of all the flash systems I owned, it was the easiest to use and most consistent. It didn't give me any issues. Like I didn't have misfires. It always just worked, but it was very simple. There was no TTL. There was no high speed sync. So 
for a year, I used the whole Young Yo system with my D750s. And after a year, I started to get the itch to want to try high speed sync and TTL. I wanted those features. And you were starting to come up in the Flash world and people were starting to watch your tune into your YouTube videos. And you and I, I think I can't remember where we met. I think we I think we started chatting after the Learn to Light group that Francisco started. I think you and I, I don't know why we started chatting, but I, I could probably go through our chat history, but it was something light related. I think we I think we must have been annoyed by the same person and we were probably chatting about that on, behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, that is the most likely explanation. Yeah, I think we come together a lot on stuff that makes us scratch our heads. And we're like, dude, what the hell are these people talking about? So that, that's probably <laughs> where it's. And, and then I think we kind of figured out we were like, like we were cut from similar cloth here. And I think I think that's where we made, yeah. the, made the connection. It had to have been in one of those flash groups. But I, I noticed your your Godox work. And, and I think I, I definitely remember asking you questions about certain flashes and, and seeing the stuff you were talking about. So that became influential on me. And I made the dive into the Godox system. I think I went V860s. I went the AD600. Like that was my initial purchase in uh, the XT2 um, flash remotes. And so that was my me leaving the young yo gear behind and jumping in full force into uh, into Godox. Uh, what, when did you start the Godox system? What was your first Godox flash? And uh, let's see. I was I was can't remember how this started. Um, I think it was coming. Okay, I do remember. I bought. Dynalite Baja B4s because it, they looked really awesome. They, I don't remember if they had TTL, but all I remember is they had remote control of power, they had a form of high speed sync, and they had an onboard battery. So mm-hmm. I got those because it was around the time of the Profoto B1 coming out, which was like the first mono light that had a battery attached and you can take it anywhere. So I think. That Einstein and Vagabond that I was so in love with, you know, now those are combined into one and you've got one less cable to worry about. I also hated the Cyber Commander from the Palsy buff. So getting away from that was wonderful. And I had bought those and then like wasn't really satisfied with how they worked. They were a little bit clunky. They had some misfiring issues. And that's when I was just like Googling, you know, kind of specs for lights. And I came across the Godox 8600, which at the time was not for sale even in China. It was not for sale in the U.S. It was like coming. And the only thing that you could find about it was like eBay listing information, right? You, there was no like good website. Nobody else was talking about this equipment. Nobody else was sharing it or reviewing it. So it was really tough. And and I just took an absolute leap and I bought one Godox 8600 along with the trigger. And it came and I'd already seen that they had speed lights out, uh, the TT685, so a double A TTL high speed sync speed light that was capable and and had the same radio equipment as the Godox 8600. And that was like the big thing for me was like, oh, the radio stuff is built in too. So now you're taking away like an external transmitter. The the Dynalite Baja kind of had that and that it was like this little module that like attached to it, which is similar to the Einstein as well. Um, a lot of people had radio modules that like aren't attached to the unit itself and, and then you were good to go, which already eliminated the cable. That was nice. But to have it internally uh, was just wonderful because then there's just another point of failure that is eliminated when, you know, you can't really like break it off or leave it at home or anything like that. <laughs> so, yeah, get, I got the 8600 and the TT6A5 and that's immediately um, I'm looking at these groups and people are talking about their challenges. And I was like, why isn't anybody talking about this? Mm-hmm. Why isn't anybody talking about this? So, you know, if you look at like my first 8600 video, it is absolutely terrible. But 
you know, it, it really helped kind of share what, what the company was about. And from there, uh, you know, the, I, I attribute the growth of my YouTube channel equally to the growth of Godox as a brand because I started talking about it. And then, as you know, it got carried by Adorama in the United States. And from there, it just really shot up in popularity. A lot of people love the 8600. Some other really influential people, such as like Francisco, who owns the Learn to Light group. He started using the 8600. Then they created a lithium ion speed light. And then they just never stopped. They started adding so many lights that if you if you look at Godox as a beginner now, you are instantly overwhelmed by the amount of options because they have some, I don't know, if you combine their studio strobes, I'd say they have some 30 to 40 models of lights, um, which is just absolutely overwhelming when you're <coughs> looking to buy your first your first flash. And even something as simple as a speed light, you know, they have six variants of speed lights right now, all on the same radio X series, actually seven. Now that I think about it. Yeah. I see a lot of fragmentation in their speed light line. And I, I kind of hope in the future they can tighten it up a little bit because I feel like why would anybody want the double a version of a speed light when they have the lithium ion version of the speed light? And they, I know it's like a price point thing. So they must be getting different margins on the gear at different price points, but it is very confusing for people who are just getting started. I've read up on so much stuff. Like there was, a, I think it was Flash Havoc that had a really good roadmap on like all the gear. And then of course asking you questions, but like, how do we hone in on, on which system here? And then now there's new speed lights that are coming out already. So like, where do we, where do we start with the, with our lights here with people? And, and now, you know, I used to think a speed light was the first light a person should own. But now I feel like my feelings on that are starting to shift because there we've got, you know, not only is there the, the V860 Mark IIs with the lithium-ion batteries, which I think that's like I think it's a good speed light to start with uh, because of the TTL and high-speed uh, sync features. It's basically like buying a name-brand flash system, like a, a if you're a Canon or a Nikon user, like using one of those type of flashes on your camera. So I would start there if you're looking speed light. But I feel like beyond that, we've got full-on studio strobes that are location strobes. Like they can they work with a lithium-ion battery, like the 8600 you were referring to. And for our beginners, like that's something you might want to use if you want to, if you plan to use like a very large modifier, like a big softbox outdoors, uh, you want more power from your light source to be able to overcome the lost light efficiency of shooting through a diffuser of that size, a modifier that size, and work with some of the ambient lighting conditions you'll encounter on a brighter day. But in between there, we now have this really cool offering of light, which I, I think if the price isn't so much of the concern, but it's getting into the right light that you can grow with at first, I'm, I lean on the AD200 now. It's like something that I might refer people to as our first off-camera flash because it packs almost the power of a studio strobe. It's actually more power than the Alien B400s I used to shoot with. And it, it has that, it, ha, it has more power than that, but it's it's three times more powerful than the speed light, but it's not as powerful as a light like the AD600. But the portability, the versatility of it has made it the single-handedly the most important piece of kit in my in my bag at the light I use the most. Uh, if you yeah. had, if you had to offer, if you had to like give someone a roadmap, like where do you start with somebody like like buying your first off-camera flash? Well, specifically with the Godox system, I, I do think the the speed light, especially because I'm talking to so many event photographers and everything, I, I do think it's important to start with the speed light. And I also, you know, if it was like, I wouldn't suggest somebody to buy a Nikon speed light because I would think that they would go into an off-camera system immediately afterwards and then all of a sudden your speed light is useless. But with Godox, I think the V860 version 2 
is just a wonderful place to start because it can also be a master into the lighting that you can grow into. And like we just said, they have 40 different lights, right? You can use that V860 to control the power of any of those because they're all built on the radio system. This is why we said back in my day earlier, because that having this type of power and this type of connectivity all across like one brand of lighting just never really existed before this. So it's it's such a pleasure to use that type of system. But I do agree that the 8200 is without a doubt the most versatile piece of lighting kit I've ever owned. Um, I can get away with 90% of my work with it. And I'm like, I honestly, I have the 8600s, I have the 400 Pro, 600 Pros. Um, I have all these bigger lights, but I make the 8200 work in in most scenarios. And Mm -hmm. this might be a future episode and, and a video that I have coming up, but there's a piece of technology coming out that I think might completely erase my need to ever use a bigger light. Yep. By the time this comes out, this will probably be more well known, but they're starting to come out with uh, neutral density filters that can go directly on your sensor. And by doing that, you can get rid of the need for high-speed sync, which is less efficient than traditional sync. And um, it's only going to work for certain users. Like I only would recommend it for somebody who's using a mirrorless camera. But I really think that I'll be able to use an 8200 for all of my outdoor work once I implement that tool as well. Yeah, and let's explain uh, what high-speed sync is and, and specifically to our, our listeners here. Uh, when, when we talk about max sync speed, that is the maximum speed you can set your shutter speed to where the flash will still be observable on your camera, on your um, exposure. And and what happens is I hate getting super technical here, but the, the shutter, the shutter drops reveals the reveals the sensor. And then the flash pulses during that duration before the next curtain of the shutter um, closes, uh, closes up the covers up the shutter or the sensor. And if the shutter speed is too fast, that light doesn't make it to the entire sensor. The sensor doesn't read the entire um, flash pulse on your sensor. And you could potentially get the banding at the bottom of the frame where you see that the light didn't reach all the way down to the bottom of your uh, full coverage of your subject. So to overcome that, flash manufacturers have created high-speed sync. Well, I don't know how long high-speed sync's been around. But what this happens is that the flash is pulsing multiple times through the duration of the, the sensor being revealed. and this allows us to overcome that um, high max sync speed. We are losing flash efficiency because the flash now has to pulse multiple times to achieve what one flash pulse could normally do on a regular sync speed photo. So while it is handy, it also is limited in that it is losing flash efficiency. We're losing flash power and the ability to recycle quicker. If you're wondering why one might even want high speed sync is because when you're in a bright situation, if your ISO is all the way down at 100 and you reach the cap of 1 250th of a second as a sync speed, you're very limited in what you can do with your aperture. In a bright daylight, you might be stuck at f8, f11, and that might not be the visual style that you want to communicate in your image. So having access to go beyond that with your shutter speed is really powerful because it gives you that control of your aperture and that control of what you're looking to achieve with the depth in your image. It gives you that control back. Yeah. And so what Rob is saying now is there's another way to to also get similar the similar effect of shooting at a wide open aperture uh, in bright daylight conditions. And that's with a neutral density filter, which effectively is like putting a dark piece of glass over the lens or in the sensor in the case of the product he was talking about. And what that does is it makes the scene darker. And of course, to overcome that, we're going to open up our aperture or slow our shutter speed down. And now we can use a neutral density filter to, to cut light, 
make make the scene darker, shoot at a wider aperture, and then introduce the flash. And since we're not using high speed sync, we're getting the full benefit of a full power flash duration. The flash efficiency is greater. So this is what we're talking about when we refer to high speed sync and neutral density filters. The reason that I'm most excited about it is because I was actually considering getting back into the neutral density game. Traditionally, a neutral density filter is something that goes on the lens of your camera, uh, or I'm sorry, on the on the front of your lens. And uh, the problem with that is I have seven lenses, right? Mm-hmm. And I might need multiple levels of neutral density. So let's say I have two types of ND filters for the six different sizes of filter threads that my lenses have. I now have 12 ND filters just to make that commitment. Whereas if you can put it over the sensor of your camera, which is why I'm so excited about this uh, piece of equipment that's coming, you can put it over the sensor of your camera. You only need one of each neutral density that you have. So instead of owning 12 filters, I'm going to own two filters, which is far more cost efficient and just far less of a bear to deal with. Yeah. And I think some of them even allowed for you to drop them into the back of the lens. Isn't there, are there filters that do that or or was there a lens in particular i'm thinking of a lens in particular that had a slot to let you drop in filters into the lens itself that that typically occurs on some like more of the the massive like telephoto lenses but it was also something that canon implemented in their new mount as a adapter so they have an adapter that allows you to take their mirrorless body and mount a previous generation lens on it and then from that you can actually drop in a filter in between it gotcha so circling back, let's let's get back to like the roadmap. I want to give people like an immediate takeaway for they leave this episode and they're going to buy the first light. So let's say first first purchase, you want to learn off camera flash and get your feet wet. I think I think your first move is the Godox V860 Mark II. It's the lithium ion battery. And then uh, it's got the lithium ion battery. And it's basically your standard um flash that you can use on camera with TTL and high-speed sync. It mimics like if whatever current model uh, Canon uh, flashes or Nikon, you know, SB5000, like that's that's the equivalent in, in flash format with Godox. So that's where I would start. Something we haven't mentioned either. Another reason that we suggest like the V860 and this Godox equipment is that you're getting that list of features that are equivalent with a name brand flash at a fraction of the price. And in some cases like recycle speed and how many times you can fire it um, on a single battery, Mm -hmm. you're getting way more performance out of, out of the VA 60 version too. So it's actually like it outperforms it at what a third of the price. I think a Canon 600 EXRT Mark II is like $600 right now. And a VA 60 version. Yeah. I think maybe 500 and uh, and a V860 version two is like 180 bucks. Wow! But if you are even more strapped for cash, you can drop down on the features in the Godox lineup, and you can take a look at a flash called the TT600. And that flash is, I want to say, either 60 or 80 dollars. And you'll still have the manual control. You'll still have the full power. Just no lithium-ion battery or advanced features like the uh, TTL and HSS. And yeah, there's so many flashes now. I feel like I, I should backtrack um, and talk about some of those flashes too. But yeah, let's let's. So that's a good a good starting point. So if you're gonna get this flash, I I also recommend and I recommend starting with one light initially. I think I see this happen a lot with beginning photographers and beginner photographers where they message me like a, a wish list of all the gear they want and they send me like four different lights and I'm like, whoa! Like first of all, you're gonna have a hard time figuring out one light here because. There's just a lot of legwork that needs to happen with one light for you to really understand the relationship of uh, 
light placement and distance to subject and all that stuff and the different kind of modifiers. So just start with one light because you'll overwhelm yourself with the possibilities very quickly. And you'll, 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 you'll create like a lot of bad lighting habits. I think I see a lot of people throw too much light at a photo and they didn't, they don't know what each light is even doing in the image. So start with, yeah, start with one speed light. And, and I would also recommend picking up one of the food, uh, one of the Godox, um, remotes so you can get that flash off camera so you can do this two ways you could buy a second speed light because that one speed light on camera can control remotely the second speed light or you can buy one of the remote triggers for like 60 bucks you can end up with the x pro uh remote or one of the xd2 remotes so i would start there what do you think you think that's a good good beginning uh, starting point would you would you recommend getting the remote or would you go two speed two speed lights just for thoroughness, in case you're actually searching that, it's the there's the X1T trigger. Mm-hmm. I think Justin's in Fujiland with the X2T yeah, or XT2. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> You'll learn as you like go in, into photography that like the naming conventions become exhausting because there's so many like numbers, letters, and you know Canon puts D behind the numbers and Nikon puts it in front of them. It's it's exhausting, but. Uh, yeah, the X1T trigger is a very simple trigger that you can start with. I think right now they're only like $29. Uh, that'll give you control of up to five off-camera flashes and with TTL and high-speed sync, as long as your off-camera flashes are capable of it. So it's something that you know you can stick with for a while. Um, if you're looking for a, a little bit better of an interface for a bit more money, there's also an X-Pro trigger in the Godox series. And that triggers just got, I think, a, a better interface that might actually be a simpler place to start because it's uh, the, the X1T can get in its own way a little bit. But yeah, I think uh, if you're thinking about if you think you're always going to have a light on your camera, um, such as if you're like an event photographer starting out in event photography and you're really going to use that a lot, then I would go the two speed lights route. That way you have one on camera and one off camera. But if you don't, if you're if you're in more of like a studio environment or such like that, then you might want to just go and, and, and skip that and have the trigger along with your first flash and then decide what lights that you can grow into and kind of determine your needs. And your needs are going to be based on basically the brightness of the environments that you're photographing in is really the, the biggest constraint to what type of flash product you need. Because the brighter it gets, the more power you need to have versatility in the shots that you create to use different modifiers and different distances. So if you're outside in sunlight a lot, you're probably going to quickly find that a speed light is greatly limited. And that's when you're going to want to get into either something like the 8200, which has a little bit more power than the speed light, or something like an 8600 that has a lot more power than a speed light. And I think that's a critical learning learning point that people need to encounter firsthand. I think you need to learn how limited a speed light can be for various situations and uh, what it's good at and what it's not good at. Because there's things that like speed lights, like probably the most common, like I think even with the 8200, I still use speed lights a lot. And I think people need to understand, like, I think you need to figure out like, oh, crap, like uh, my photo's too dark. You got to understand that. I think I think you need to reach that that uh, learning point on your own. Like you have to, it's like a critical learning moment when you realize when something is not enough and it does, it's not to say that like you will regret the purchase, but I think it's, it'll, it'll help you figure out like where these products fit in the big picture of your lighting objectives and where they're successful and where they're not successful because then you'll then grow the need. Like, I don't think you should buy a piece of gear until you realize you need it. You know, I think people oftentimes yeah. overshoot, buy a big piece of gear. And uh, now they, they probably, I think they didn't learn much along the way in that process. 
Right, right. They just kind of like skip that and they don't even, now you don't even really understand the limitations of what you're currently using because you never built the foundation of uh, of failing in the first place. Yeah. And I'm sure we ha- we probably have a whole bunch of photographers out there who jumped in and went 8600. And as a person who has a need for an 8600, like I use, I use it, I have it and it, it comes up in my work where I, where I need it. I, it's my least used piece of gear as a location photo- lighting photographer. So, um, yeah, I don't know how I'd feel about that being my only my first piece of gear. Um, now that it's something that I don't use as much as my other other uh, pieces of gear. So you got to figure yeah, out. Yeah, because because one of the biggest elements too to using your lighting gear is using it efficiently and fast. And the larger your flash gets, the more minutia it takes to <laughs> uh, to make use of that lighting. I think you use that word wrong. <laughs> probably no, he used it right. okay I, I know actually now if i think about it context wise like i can i can make it work so i won't give you shit for that <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know we we defined minutiae yesterday when i when i didn't understand it so yeah so like let's let's like i want to rehash the roadmap because i think we've along the way we've we're we've talked about determining your needs with lighting equipment so um we've talked speed lights we've talked Big strobes, eighty six hundreds. We've talked. We've talked uh, the eighty two hundred, which is conveniently in the middle between a, a small speed light and a larger studio strobe. So it, the eighty two hundred is like my critical piece of gear. I've got. I own three of them. Uh, the cool thing about the eighty two hundred is you can pair it uh, onto the ADB two or A two B two. Wait, is that right? ADB two. ADB two. It's not a droid from Star Wars. It's a piece of equipment that we use. And that allows you to put both flash bodies onto that equip piece of equipment. And you can then use both of the bare bulbs, two bare bulbs for double the output. You're, you effectively get 400 watt seconds of light power uh, to use with your larger modifiers. So it, this little piece of gear becomes a bigger piece of gear paired with more of them. So I feel like adding more like that. It's one piece of gear that I want to continue getting more of. I'll probably end up with the fourth one eventually because it has a faster recycle and it can shoot um, at a higher power than my speed lights. And I can use it with big, big modifiers too. And when I combine it for with my MagMod kit, I'm able to use all of my MagMod modifiers, like the, the speed light type modifiers that go around the head of the flash. And I can use it with the MagBox, two of them in, in one softbox. So I really like that piece of gear. I think, I think a lot of, I think it represents a sweet spot in location lighting gear where we get more power, Ability to fill larger modifiers, but also ability to work with smaller speedlight modifiers. So I lean heavily on the 8200 as my favorite piece of kit. If I could sum up my position on, on where you, uh, on what you should do after your first speedlight, I would say if you are working in an environment and you feel like your speedlight is absolutely hopeless in those environments that you're working in, like you're barely getting, like seeing the light result at all then that's when you should consider a light like the 8600. And if you're in an environment with that speed light and you feel like it's just not quite there or it's slowing you down, but you're almost there, then you should consider the 8200s because I think they'll they'll satisfy most of your needs. Agreed. And so, you know, we talked a lot about the Godox offerings. Like, do you, you even recommend anyone ever buying the name brand flash for their signature flash for whatever brand they're with. Like if you're a Sony user, would you, is there a flash that you would buy or Nikon SB 5000 or the Canon? I think we're at the 600 EXRT Mark two now, I think is the flash. 
Canon and Nikon, definitely not. I, I don't think that those systems are anywhere near worth what they are asking for in terms of price. The Sony Speedlight, I actually think is ingenious just because of the rotating flash head design um, that if you were using an on-camera flash, it'd be awesome. But I still don't recommend it over like the Godox equipment. Like that's one small little improvement you get for for a ton of money. But I do think that that design element is absolutely ingenious. So yeah, for for all three, I guess you'd call those major brands, but even Fuji, like I don't suggest the EFX 500. <laughs> I have no idea what what the other brands like what the hell is Olympus and Panasonic's flash offerings. I have no idea. Uh, the cool thing about the Godox equipment is that as long as whatever is on your on your master controller, as long as whatever is on top of your camera is meant for your brand, all the other stuff will work like you your even your speed lights they convert ttl and and hss signals the 8600 the 8200 those are not brand specific so they'll work with any brand of camera so that's just another little extra thing that kind of gets you away from that that brand dependence you know of canon stuff only working for canon nikon only working for nikon etc yeah so yeah i i think it's a great system that it also future proofs you in case you make a brand swap in terms of your camera I, that's a great point to make and and i'll explain in my use case how i shoot nikon equipment for all my day-to-day -day work but i also own fuji and today i'm going to go shoot some fuji fuji work and all i need to work with all of my nikon lights or actually well nikon like the the speed lights are intended for the nikon system initially when i bought them and then the 8200 8600 all of those lights work with my fuji camera i only need the fuji uh, remote on my camera to trigger those lights so i didn't have to re repurpose my lighting system and get new lights to work with my Fuji system, I only had to get a new remote. So the cross-brand compatibility for those features, that's incredible. And yeah, you're not going to find that in a first-party system. You can't you can't do that with Canon, Nikon, or, or Sony, or any, uh, any of the other brand, um, major brand flashes. So if you have any ideas on growing your kit of lights uh, and that you want to get into a higher-powered light and a strobe, I think the Godox system is the way to go. But what were you going to say, Rob? I was going to say, outside of... Outside of first brand manufacturers is there any other type of lighting system that you think like really competes at the price level you know i was going to ask you that question um i think uh <laughs> well i'm trying to think what other system there is that involves some kind of speed light product some kind of uh, studio powered strobe product for location lighting with a universal remote there's only a few systems i can think of i think photix shares a remote between speed light and uh their indra light uh, and yep. then i think um is there is there one for what's that other brand that came out from Adorama? The oh the uh, the Orlet Orlet the Orlet series at Adorama is Jinbei equipment. Mm -hmm. um, similar in that they have a diverse levels of it, but they are greatly limited in the speed light. I was getting invested into that as well to kind of talk about it as an alter alternative because they're, they're not quite as popular as Godox and therefore their prices at Adorama are actually a little bit lower for comparable products, mm -hmm. but don't have the cross compatibility. And they also don't have, they don't have the speed lights for like all six brands. They, yeah. as far as I know, the last I checked, they only have Nikon and Canon. Um, but if you're coming from a Canon system, it's, a, it's something I always tell people to consider because they also work with the Canon C 600 EXRTs as well as like the Yongnuo version. Yeah. So if you're coming from another system, that's when I talk about it. But if you're buying in new, um, I don't think it competes head to head with the Godox stuff. And I think Yongnuo Yo, Young Yo 
Young Nuo, Young Nyo, Kung Pao. I think they really dropped the ball in not following a similar roadmap into higher powered light systems. They should have partnered with someone who's got that tech or made their own. They really they lost a huge part of their own their own market segment that they captured because they were big previous to Godox. And now there's so much Godox equipment out there. Whenever we do like group shoots or do photo walks, like we're sharing lights and everybody like that's now the for me when like choosing a camera system, choosing a light system, I like to get into something that I can share gear or or borrow people's gear should I need to, you know, like you want that kind of support system. It, it's beyond just like the the technology and how how you use it, but also like, do you have an ecosystem, a family of people around you that you can borrow gear, share gear, share resources? And with Godox, I can say that now, like today I'm going to go shoot with a, a couple buddies and they are both Godox users. And in a pinch, like, hey man, like let me just change my 8200 over to your channel and I will position it over here. Like I can add to their lighting setup. So we get this really fluid use system going on of gear sharing and adding to people's setups. And, you know, can you do that with any other flash system? Like, like if you owned a Canon 600D XRT Mark II, uh, do you know enough Canon shooters using those flashes? Can you join forces? Can you add a strobe to that setup? Like that, that stuff, like, I don't think I've ever seen it happen until now. And it's, it's really cool. Like, I, I mean, I get excited thinking about uh, the possibilities now of how we share, yeah, when, share these lights. When I went to WPPI, you know, I, I, I got the kit that I thought I needed out in Vegas. And I had this brief moment of like, uh, should I, should I grab a few more lights? And I, and I was just like, someone's going to have them. So like, there's going to be so many 200s there. Like I, I knew that we were setting this up to where there's going to be like five photographers at one location. I'm like, mm -hmm. there's going to be so many more 8200s there. I'm not even going to think about it. And I went there and, and sure enough, like lighting the amount of 8200s that were available was not a concern whatsoever. Yeah. So I, man, I have to wonder like what the market share is now of, I'm not, not like, uh, not talking about a market share, but like the, how much of the market has, has Godox captured? I'd love to know how many photographers there are using the gear compared to other brands. I bet they've captured the majority of the market now at this point, or they're close to it. It certainly feels that way when when you when you make a post and say like the Magmod user group or I, I've seen people post like does anyone use things besides the eighty two hundred mm -hmm. or you know what light do you suggest and it's just sixty comments of eighty two hundred it's like almost I, I've never seen anything like it you know in in our industry with lighting a uh, vast majority of people and and we're gonna sound like damn near advertisers for the brand at this point but um, it's just becoming that status quo that everyone is using it just because everyone's having a similar wonderful experience with that brand yeah and then um i think we've avoided the p word up until now but it, it bears mentioning uh pro photo is the only other brand i can think of that has multiple flash offerings sharing the same family of remotes and growing an ecosystem i wonder where they got that idea from who do you think <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I find it interesting, like a, a lot of people will talk about one of the current debates right now is if the new Godox V1 is, you know, how atrocious of a copy of it is of the Profoto A1, whereas I look at it as like Profoto was never considering and never making anything for the top of your camera. They were always designing for like, you know, the studio or even the mobile studio. They were always designing for off camera lighting. And then oddly enough, after the success of like the V860 version two and the 8200, of course, this A1 comes out that is the world's smallest studio light. I mean, let's let's call it what it is. It's a speed light with a different shaped head. 
but it's a speed light and it'll attach to the Shuriger camera. Um, it's the first time that they've really felt the pressure to do so. And I think it's completely based on the success of these other systems that people are using. Absolutely. And I think there was a, there was a slow transition of, of pro photo moving into that market. And it started with uh, when they started to capture the wedding market a little bit. And that didn't happen until they made the B1 and then the B2s. And that that's when they started to capture wedding photographers. And that's when their ambassador list started to grow uh, when it started getting more, more, um, you know, like pro wedding photographers, Pai Jersa, um, uh, Chris and Justin Lin and uh, Michael Anthony, Sal Sincata, like all those guys started using pro photo on their wedding work for, for pretty big results. They were getting amazing work. And what are your wedding photographers using besides portable strobes? They're using speed lights. And it was a very smart move on their part to, to capture a part of that market because I know their ambassadors were using other brand flashes. So why wouldn't you want your top level wedding brand ambassadors using one ecosystem for all of your lights? So they had to do it because they were missing a part of the market they weren't capturing. And I never really thought about that until right now. <laughs> Epiphany. Yeah, epiphany. You've heard it first on the talking shot. <laughs> yeah, the light, the light bulb just went off. That's exactly what happened, though. Like, uh, they went portable strobe, and that's when they started to capture the wedding market. So, yeah, you wouldn't want to lose lose out to other brands. So why not? So now it's kind of it's most amusing that they're trying to defend a part of the market that they were actually not. They were on the outside of previously. Now they're trying to defend their their patents on it. But really, like. How come we never saw Canon go after Young Neo for making a flash that basically, I think it basically worked with their their remote system. If I'm not mistaken, they made a flash with the same same uh, number modelings and replacing like the Canon model number with like the y, letter YN. And it's like the YN 600 EXRT, which if I'm not mistaken, shares the same wireless um, connection. I think it works with the Canon system. Do you know that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That Young Neo... 600 EXRT was designed to work identically, uh, kind of substitute in as the Canon 600 EXRT. Because I know people who bought one Canon and then rounded out their kit with three of the Young Nuos to kind of pair with them. Um, and and other companies have done that as well, like the the Orlit lighting, which is Jinbei lighting from China. So Orlit is the rebrand at Arama, but in China, it's Jinbei products. They're designed to work alongside the 600 EXRT, so they actually have strobes that will that can be triggered strictly off of Canon's proprietary signal. And I have no idea how they got away with any of that or how that continues to be for sale. That's wild, man. I think I think that the market is having a hard time protecting their copyrights and patents um, uh, in America with with uh, against China. Like I feel like there's maybe there's got to be some kind of legal roadblock. That's preventing it. Otherwise, we wouldn't see so many popularized knockoff products showing up in the marketplace. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny to see that happening. Plus side, as consumers, we are benefiting from innovation in these products and we're getting to use some pretty cool and accessible lighting tools that weren't there, you know, talked about it 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So I don't know how I feel about it personally. Morally, yeah, it seems kind of messed up because I I, I have. You know, I worked with I have partnered and worked with brands whose products I enjoy and who uh, whose position in the marketplace I want to continue to see remain strong. But then I do kind of cast a blind eye when it comes to like, yeah, I'm using a flash that might be a knockoff of another type of flash, but maybe it isn't. Maybe it is. So there's some there's some moral gray area in all this. And I I don't want to like moral high ground on people's choices when they choose whatever lighting system they're using. It's two things like one, when you see an alternative 
that is equally capable at one third the price, you kind of get offended at how much you paid for for the real deal, you know, or the the name brand thing when they were free to run with that pricing because it was the only option, right? Mm-hmm. So you get a little offended and you get a little bitter towards that brand. In terms of are they copying? Are they are they stealing tech? Are they allowed to be doing what they're doing? I Canon is a massive company. And if they have proprietary technology, it should be on them to defend it. Because we know smaller companies that have successfully defended, you know, their their IP. So I don't see if it is proprietary, if it is patented, then Canon should have no problem upholding that. And I would think specifically with the 600 EXRT, to me, that seems like the communications aspect of that flash should be proprietary. Like that should be their product. That should be their patent, whatever language that's speaking. I don't know how you can have it fully compatible and not be using the same exact technology. Unless there's that's just aspects of coding that... And, and radio communication that we don't understand, maybe it's a conversion factor that absolves them from you know being subject to Canon's patents. I'm not really sure on that. And personally, for me, I, I, I leave that to the people who make those decisions, right? Yeah. I leave that to the people who, who enforce those laws and everything. And I put it on the company to defend their products as I would defend my own image rights. You know, that's that's got to be on them. Yeah, and I think that ship has sailed, so we, we won't see anything on the Canon front with that flash in particular, but it will be interesting to see what Profoto does in the, in this building case they have against uh, against Godox. I already got an email that some two elements of the Godox V1 are changing. I don't know if that's in response to the to the accusations by Profoto, but uh, I know that like the LED, for instance, is going from like a two bead LED to one. I'm not sure if that's because Profoto somehow patented two LEDs as a modeling light, <laughs> or I would think Profoto would actually use one light so that they don't cast split shadows. Or I don't know if that's just general feedback that Godox got that, you know, you shouldn't have two little LEDs when you can have one slightly larger LED do the same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not really sure, but from everything I see that that V1 is still coming out. So I don't I don't know what the timeline for this type of thing is, but we'll see. Yeah. And big picture, like this is the most compelling time we've ever existed within the lighting industry. Like we are the benefactors of all this cool stuff going on. So I'm not unhappy in the least bit. I'm super appreciative of all the options that we have in terms of what route we want to go through in, in lighting equipment now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the that's the best thing is you've got options. Everything felt stale like a decade ago. It, it, mm-hmm. it felt like the industry wasn't really moving or changing much. And now it's kind of like every three months, um, something could come out that completely changes where you want to take your whole, you know, setup of, of lighting equipment, right? So yeah. the you know the the A one had a lot of people bounce back to Pro Photo, but you know now there's rumblings of a Godox eighty two hundred Pro and. The, the one thing with Godox is they're just making so many damn options that it's exhausting to really consider everything that they have um, when it comes to it. So that could be that could be its own episode and it would probably be our longest episode yet. <laughs> I think we're getting close on this one. Maybe. Well, let's uh, let's rehash real quick, guys. When when you're getting your first speed light, you want to get something that you're going to be able to use long term. So you don't want to just get some really, really cheap kit that you're going to outgrow within a month of learning lighting, and then it's going to you know, move into the trash. So I say avoid those weird little cowboy studio type kits where it's like a compact fluorescent bulb and some umbrellas. You're going to want to ignore all of that. 
get a speed light, try to get something that is cost effective. That way, uh, if it doesn't work out for you, then at least you're not losing too much money. But at the same time, you're spending enough money that you might be able to develop a system around it in the future. Justin and I both feel like Godox presents an excellent entry point um, into professional lighting while maintaining a pretty low cost. And from there, if you decide that you need more lighting, you should really try to work with that first light that you're using and establish where it's not good enough for you, right? You want to figure out what you need more out of your lighting equipment before you go and decide to upgrade any lighting or add to your lighting kit with a second, third, fourth light. So spend a little bit of time with it. Learn how to use one light. There's great resources on YouTube or strobus.com or workshops that you can utilize to get more comfortable with that one light. That will help you determine where it's at fault and therefore make a really educated purchase on what you need to upgrade to. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope you learned something today and that you will be taking this information and using it to purchase your next or your first off-camera flash and that you'll be well on your way to making some flash lit images. Uh -huh.